Our scripture for today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Hear now the reading of God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I will not be giving today's message, but instead a special guest uh, will be giving uh, the word, and that is Pastor James Lee. You remember him, right? Uh, our former assistant pastor who's currently studying for his THM at Gordon-Conwell Seminary has agreed to come and to share the word with us as a way just to say hello and to encourage me uh, to take some time off away from the pulpit. And so uh, I hope and pray that uh, Pastor James's message will encourage you and edify you as I'm sure he has in the past. So let's now prepare our hearts and welcome back Pastor James. Good morning NCF. I sincerely pray and hope that you have been doing well. We really, really miss you guys. Still can't believe that it's been almost seven months since we moved to Massachusetts. By God's grace, we have been doing well. On behalf of my family, I would like to extend our deepest gratitude to all of you for thinking of us, for always encouraging us, for praying for us, and for supporting us. Just wanted to say thank you so much. And we really feel so blessed and encouraged to be part of such a loving community like NCF. This morning, it's my joy, privilege, and honor to share the Word of God with you. I really wish I was standing before you in person. Hopefully, in the near future, that we will be able to worship our great God together in person as a body of Jesus Christ. Please join me in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we love you. We praise you, for you are faithful. As we delve into this passage together, Remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and also remind us that in Jesus Christ that we have all the reasons to rejoice and that no matter what is happening in our lives and around us, that in Jesus Christ that we can find peace, the abiding peace. Thank you. We commit this time to you and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is a remarkable scene in the movie The Lord of the Rings where Gandalf encourages Frodo by offering words of wisdom. Feeling overwhelmed by the task at hand, Frodo speaks, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. Gandalf responds, so do I. And so do all who live in to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. You know, ever since, ever since this pandemic started, the majority of the people have been feeling stressed and overwhelmed, struggling with anxiety and fear, while constantly being forced to adjust to the new normal, life that is filled with uncertainties. We can only wish that this pandemic never happened. 
In the midst of a pandemic, it is normal for us to feel anxious and terrified. Because of COVID-19, we are living in an anxious world. However, as today's passage reminds us, it is possible for us to experience joy and peace despite what is happening around us because there is a greater reality that can reshape the way we understand our present circumstances. This morning, I would like for us to focus on three things. Point number one, the source of our joy. Point number two, the source of our peace. And point number three, the call to live out our faith. Let's jump into the first point together, the source of our joy. In verse four, Paul begins with a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Before directly addressing the important topic of anxiety, which has been plaguing the believers at Philippi, Paul begins by specifically commanding the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. In previous chapters, Paul has already given them ample reasons to rejoice in the Lord. There are saints in Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.1. They already belong to Jesus Christ. God who began a good work in them will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. And Paul is absolutely sure about this. With that in mind, Paul rejoices because of his confidence in the certainty of this good work being finished in the lives of the Philippians. And he encourages them to rejoice as well with that in mind. They're the children of God, Philippians 2.15. In Christ, they are already beloved sons and daughters of God. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.8. There's nothing more precious and valuable than knowing Christ and being found in Christ. Compared to Jesus Christ, everything else is rubbish, worthless. Since they're already in Christ, they ought to rejoice in the Lord. Their citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 In Christ they are already heavenly citizens. They already belong to the kingdom of God. They are already co-heirs with Christ of the glorious inheritance that awaits them. Here Paul reminds them that the ultimate source of their joy is Jesus Christ. Joy is one of the central themes in Paul's heartfelt letter to the Philippians. It is mentioned 14 times uh, throughout Philippians. Among Pauline letters, the word joy appears the most in Philippians. When we consider the context in which Philippians was written during Paul's imprisonment, it is truly remarkable that the entire letter is saturated with the theme of joy. Despite being in chains, Paul still rejoices. He is filled with joy. It is evident that Paul's joy is not contingent upon his present circumstances. And the full weight of this command, rejoice in the Lord, cannot be understood apart from Paul's imprisonment. In Philippians 4.11-12, Paul declares, I have learned to be content in whatever situation. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in, every, in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the question, how can Paul possibly be content in whatever situation and even rejoice in, in, in any and every circumstance? 
Where did Paul learn the secret to true contentment? It is evident that Paul has learned the secret to true contentment in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. The secret isn't something that Paul learned overnight. Paul actually learned it in the midst of trials, sufferings, affliction, uncertainties. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23-27, Paul describes all the sufferings that he had to endure for the sake of the gospel. I read from verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. As this passage indicates, Paul clearly had all the more reasons not to rejoice. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8-10, through 10, Paul also describes what he had to endure as a servant of Jesus Christ. From verse 8, Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. As you can see, Paul faithfully lived out his calling for the sake of gospel ministry, even under extreme circumstances. Even though his circumstances kept changing for the worse, it didn't keep him from being content and rejoicing in the Lord. How is this possible? It is because Paul's ultimate source of joy was Jesus Christ, the one who remains the same yesterday and today and forever. He continued to rejoice in the Lord. He continued to hope in the Lord. He continued to put his trust in the Lord. He continued to stand firm in the Lord. Here Paul reminds the Philippians and all of us that joy is one of the distinctive marks of true believers those who belong to Jesus Christ. And this is precisely what Paul wants the Philippians and all of us to remember. What is your source of joy, NCF? What makes you rejoice? Have you been rejoicing in the Lord? Do your present circumstances keep you from rejoicing in the Lord? What are some things in your life that prevents you from rejoicing in the Lord? Something to think about as we continue to live in this broken world. Paul continues in verse 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. After focusing on the theme of joy, Paul now moves on to talk about gentleness. And this is also a command. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. As followers of Jesus Christ, the Philippians face opposition in the city of Philippi. And let me just briefly explain uh, the historical setting for the believers in living in the city of Philippi. 
See, Philippi was a city that was fully immersed in the Roman ideals. What made Philippi Rome away from Rome was precisely its citizens' unswerving allegiance to the emperor. The citizens of Philippi religiously devoted themselves to imperial cult and emperor worship. Submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ was regarded as a serious offense, political treason. By pledging their spiritual allegiance to Jesus Christ, the Philippians had to endure ongoing persecution. As a result, it was extremely difficult for the Philippians to live out their faith in the city of Philippi because living out their faith meant rejecting the cultural norms of the city of Philippi. Paul was fully aware of their situation. But in light of that, this is Paul's encouragement to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord as you continue to suffer for his sake. Rejoice knowing that you are being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ and consider that a privilege and honor. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. In the midst of ongoing persecution, maintain a spirit of gentleness at all times. Do not fight back. Do not retaliate. Instead, embody the gospel by practicing gentleness. And this is how they can continue to bear gospel witness in a city like Philippi. Now let's jump into the second point together, the source of our peace. Let's read verses 6 and 7 together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to draw your attention to how Paul ended verse 5. He writes, The Lord is at hand. And this is very important because he's going to set the stage for verses 6 and 7. Here, what Paul is saying is this, do not be anxious because the Lord is at hand, because the Lord is near. He's reminding the Philippians that the Lord is with you, the Lord is for you. And it is with this in mind, Paul is specifically commanding the Philippians not to be anxious about anything. Here, Paul isn't just making a statement, but this is a command for the Philippians to obey and live out, not to be anxious about anything in light of who God is and who they already are through faith in Jesus Christ. When we consider the cultural context of the city of Philippi, it is true that the Philippians had more reasons to be anxious. Worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior had political implications since it was viewed as committing political treason against the emperor. The citizens, of, the citizens of Philippi took absolute pride in the fact that the city of Philippi had received a special designation as Rome away from Rome, which was a special honor only given to certain cities by the Roman Empire. By not participating in emperor worship and imperial cults, the Philippians were regarded as religious outcasts. They were uh, treated as outsiders. In order to follow Jesus Christ faithfully, the Philippians had to forfeit social status, which was very important in Greco-Roman society. They were treated as nobodies. Losing social standing in Greco-Roman society also had economic implications. It affected their livelihood. They also had to endure 
ongoing physical persecution. As you can see, their identity as disciples of Jesus Christ affected every aspect of their lives. Here, Paul is not trying to downplay the gravity of their situation. Paul is not trying to minimize their present circumstances. Paul is not trying to condemn the Philippians for their lack of faith. Instead, Paul is drawing their attention to the greater reality that they seem to have forgotten, the spiritual reality that has already been inaugurated by Jesus Christ. By looking at their present circumstances through the lens of the gospel in light of who God is and who they really are through faith in Jesus Christ, it can radically change the way they live as followers of Jesus Christ in the city of Philippi, even in the midst of deep suffering. Because of what God has already done uh, for them once and for all is, is not for them who live here and now. While pointing them to this greater spiritual reality, Paul specifically commands the Philippians not to be anxious about anything. And instead of being anxious, he commands them to go to God in prayer and supplication, to let their requests be known to God. And this is a command. He encourages them to, to go to God who is with them and who is for them. He also uses the phrase in everything to, to highlight the fact that in all circumstances of life, they no longer have to be anxious because they are in Christ Jesus. Their prayer and supplication indicate utter dependence and trust in God. And Paul is encouraging them to fully entrust their lives to Jesus Christ, who is with them and who is for them. Paul mentions that prayer and supplication ought to be accompanied by thanksgiving. He's reminding them to be thankful as they acknowledge God's goodness and faithfulness in their own, in their own lives. And that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, that it is important for them to have a heart of gratitude. In verse 7, Paul highlights the promise for those who go to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving in all circumstances instead of being anxious. And in verse 7, Paul writes, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here Paul wants the Philippians to know that they can still experience peace, abiding peace, despite what is happening in their lives as they fix their eyes on their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is their mighty God, their everlasting Father, and their Prince of Peace. And Gordon Fee reminds us um, with reference to this peace that can surpass his understanding as he writes this, the peace comes because prayer is an expression of trust and God's people do not need to have it all figured out in order to trust him. Here Paul wants the Philippians to know that in Jesus Christ, that they can experience this peace that surpasses all understanding. And he wants them to know that peace is not the absence of questions, uncertainties, difficulties, and hardships. But true abiding peace is found in Jesus Christ and in the presence of God. What makes you anxious? When do you get anxious? Have you been struggling with anxiety because of COVID-19? Are you 
hopelessly hopeful because of what is happening around you and because of what is happening in your life? Consider these insightful words from Charles Spurgeon as he points out that many Christians unnecessarily struggle with needless fears and groundless anxieties. And I quote, Many of God's people are constantly under apprehensions of calamities which will never occur to them, and they suffer far more in merely dreading them than they would have to endure if they actually came upon them. In their imagination, there are rivers in their way, and they are anxious to know how they shall wade through them or swim across them. There are no such rivers in existence, but they are agitated and distressed about them. And an old proverb says, don't cross the bridge till you come to it. But these timid people are continually crossing bridges that only exist in their foolish, in their foolish fancies. They stab themselves with imaginary daggers. They starve themselves in imaginary famines and even bury themselves in imaginary graves. We are such strange creatures that we probably suffer more under blows which never fall upon us than we do under those which do actually come. The rod of God does not strike us as sharply as the rod of our own imagination does. Our groundless fears are chief tormentors. And when we are able to abolish our self-inflictions, all the worries of the world become light and easy. However, it is a pity that Christians who have the gift of faith in Christ given to them shall fall into so guilty and at the same time a so painful a habit as this of fearing the oppressor who does not come and who never will come. When you're anxious, it is difficult to discern what is real and what is not real. When you're anxious, your feelings dictate what you see and how you see. When you're anxious, God might seem incredibly distant and silent. When you're anxious, you might feel alone that God has abandoned you. But is this really true? Is this what the gospel says about who God is and who we are in Jesus Christ? Based on a recent scientific research, there is a very interesting correlation between prayer and brain activity. According to Dr. David Spiegel from Stanford University School of Medicine, how prayer changes our brain activity can be seen through MRI. See, the amygdala, which is a part of the brain, is responsible for the perception of emotions such as anger, fear, and sadness. The amygdala is also known as the fear center of the brain. And this is what happens during the times of stress that the amygdala becomes hyperactivated and which does two things. Number one, it thrusts us into a survival mode where we freeze, fight or flee the situation. And this is usually when we freak out because our emotions get overly intensified. And number two, it shuts down our executive functioning and prevents us from thinking clearly. And this is why when we're stressed out and excessively worry about something that may or may not happen, we tend to make poor decisions and even end up acting in self-destructive ways. The question is this, how do you deactivate your amygdala? Let me rephrase that question in a way that you would understand it since not all of us are doctors. What should you do when you're feeling anxious? Paul has already given us an answer to that question. Pray. Go to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and present your request to God. See, the amygdala is the life-draining part of the brain, and it gets activated through stress and anxiety. 
and it disables the frontal lobe of the brain. The frontal lobe is the life-giving part of the brain, and it gets activated through prayer and acts of kindness, such as service and generosity. And as it gets activated, it deactivates the amygdala. It's a very interesting correlation, um, but I do believe that what this study is, is showing us and telling us is that the more you pray, um, the more it will deactivate amygdala, which is the life-draining part of the brain. And with that in mind, we should uh, do our best to pray more intentionally. Why? Because according to this study, prayer is life-giving. See, we can fight our needless fears and groundless anxieties with prayer and thanksgiving. And we can guard our hearts and minds through prayer and thanksgiving. Yes, it is true that we have many reasons to be anxious. And we will continue to find ourselves in, in the midst of situations that will fill our hearts with anxiety and fear and confusion. But let us remember that that joy and peace are God's ultimate gifts to those who trust in Jesus Christ and that our Lord and Savior is with us, and that he is for us. And in Jesus Christ, we have access to this peace that surpasses all understanding. What an amazing promise that is for those who are in Christ Jesus. With that in mind, let's jump into our last point, the call to live out our faith. Let's read verses 8 and 9 again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Your Paul lists uh, eight virtues that resemble the list of virtues in Greek literature. And these virtues were considered uh, good in Hellenistic societies. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, Paul commands the Philippians to think about these things. And the question is why? Even though the city of Philippi was filled with pagan Gentiles who religiously worshipped the emperor, who actively participated in imperial cults, who firmly set their minds on earthly, earthly things and who blatantly um, lived as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ, Paul challenges the Philippians that they must learn to appreciate all that is good in their surrounding Greco-Roman culture. Here Paul is not advocating cultural assimilation, becoming like them and following their patterns. Instead, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to be intentional about recognizing and celebrating what is already good in the city of Philippi, as long as it does not compromise and contradict the gospel. This change in perspective is crucial, and the question is why? See, the Philippians have been facing ongoing opposition because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And as persecution intensifies, it becomes that much more difficult for the Philippians to acknowledge and embrace what is good in that city and also to seek the good of that city. In addition, it can force them to stay in their Christian ghettos 
and hide in their Christian bunkers as they totally disengage uh, from the society and completely separate themselves from all unbelievers around them, which actually would be the most unloving thing that they can do in the city of Philippi. Notice how Paul ends this passage in verse 9. What you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, after commanding them to think about these things, Paul now commands them to practice these things. Here, Paul urges them to remain faithful uh, to their calling, and he's commanding them to, to continue to live out their faith in the city of Philippi despite ongoing opposition. And he's encouraging them and urging them to continue to embody the gospel and to be living um, testimonies of God's grace, love, and mercy to those around them in the city of Philippi despite ongoing persecution. The Philippians were called to be a shining light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation and in this city, Philippians 2.15. They were surrounded by pagan Gentiles who walked and lived as enemies of the cross of, of Jesus Christ, Philippians 4.18. But in order for them to be a shining light in the city of Philippi, they had to live intentionally in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.27. In doing so, the clash between the gospel and the Greco-Roman ideals was inevitable. But as heavenly citizens, the Philippians were called to work out their own salvation. Philippians 2.12. And here Paul is not saying that they need to, to earn their salvation. But here working out their own salvation means uh, living out their own salvation. And I think Gordon Fee, the New Testament scholar's comments, are very helpful here when he writes that salvation is not only something they receive, it is something they do. In other words, Paul is reminding the Philippians that how they live in this city of Philippi actually matters. Despite facing ongoing opposition and persecution, Paul is strongly urging them and encouraging them to practice these things to live out their own salvation, to be the shining light that God has called them to be in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation of unbelieving Gentiles. Paul ends verse 9 with the promise of God's abiding peace. The God of peace will be with you. And this is the, the amazing thing here. Not only can the Philippians experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, which Paul has already reminded them of in verse 8, but they actually have, have access to the God of peace. Here in verse 9, which Paul tells them, they don't just get the peace of God. No, they also get the God of peace. So with that in mind, Paul is commanding them, encouraging them. Yes, it is difficult for you to live and to, to be faithful Christians in the city of Philippi. But with this in mind, continue to live out your faith. Continue to live out your own salvation. Continue to be that shining light for His glory and for God's kingdom. Beloved NCF, God has also called you to be a shining light in New York City, 
in your communities, in your neighborhoods during this pandemic. The question is this, how can you both corporately and individually extend God's love, grace, and mercy to those around you during this pandemic? How can you as a church and also individually share the gospel in meaningful ways in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic? And it is my prayer and hope that instead of remaining in your Christian ghettos and hiding in your Christian bunkers, that you will embody the gospel faithfully and courageously and live out your faith in the places that God has called you to be. That you will live out your heavenly citizenship here and now as you cling to the hope, the joy, and the peace that is already yours through faith in Jesus Christ. Please remember that how you live here and now, even in the midst of this pandemic, matters as followers of Jesus Christ. Beloved NCF, do not be anxious about anything, for God is sovereign and He is always in control and He deeply cares for each one of you. There is a greater reality that is more real than your present circumstances. And in Jesus Christ, you have all the more reasons to rejoice than to be anxious. In Jesus Christ, you can experience peace that surpasses all understanding. And also don't forget that the God of peace will be with you always and every step of the way. And as you live out your faith, continue to put your trust in the Lord, for He is with you. And continue to put your hope in the Lord, for He is for you. And as you look forward to what lies ahead for those who are in Christ Jesus, knowing that the sufferings of the present times are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, with that in mind, continue to rejoice in the Lord, even in the midst of suffering, opposition, and life that is filled with uncertainties. And as you eagerly await the return of the King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may you continue to stand firm in the Lord for His kingdom and for His glory. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. No matter what is happening around us, and even though we may be surrounded by uh, circumstances that may cause us to be anxious and afraid, thank you that our hope is in you and that you remain faithful. And Father, knowing that, that our lives are forever secure in your hands, and knowing that you have called us to be the shining light um, in this broken world as heavenly citizens. Father, may we be faithful in bearing gospel witness and that we will be intentional uh, about um, living our lives here uh, for your kingdom and glory, that we will be faithful uh, witnesses to those around us, Lord. That even when things get difficult and as we face situations that may uh, cause us to be anxious, uh, may we look to you, knowing that in Jesus Christ we have all the more reasons to, to rejoice, but not only that, in Jesus Christ we have access to this peace that surpasses understanding, but not only that, that the God of peace, that, that you will be with us every step of the way. So with that in mind, um, help us to just continue to stand firm and lay down every aspect of, the, of our lives 
uh, for the sake of your kingdom and your glory and gospel ministry. Thank you. We love you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.